Um, all right, here we go. Um, all right, I'll, Brian, it really helps me when you say action. Action. This is Marginalia, a podcast where the pastors and staff at New City Church here in Cincinnati, Ohio, discuss the scribbles and the margins of our Sunday sermons, as well as whatever else is going on in the life of the church. I'm Josh Rotano, and today I'm talking with Abby Murish. Abby, how are you? Doing good. I got you (laughs) mid-drink. Sorry about that. And I'm on mute, so I have to unmute myself every time. It's not like you didn't know I was introducing you right at that time. Yeah. I thought you'd be introducing Brian Ferry. Oh, okay, sorry. Well, A comes before B, and definitely before W. So uh, our other uh, contestant uh, today is uh, William Brian Ferry. Uh, Brian, how are you? Great. I didn't know we were contestants. This is great. Bring, <laughs> bring it on. My kids are always telling me I should be on like the weekend NPR game shows. So here we go. There we go. Well, kids have gotten into watching Price is Right a little bit during the quarantine, and uh, it's been kind of fun to, to revisit some of those. Um, well, you know, it's been a long time since I've been on the show. Uh, you know, I've been, in some ways, you might say I've been practicing social distancing from the two of you for before it was normal uh, to be doing so. Um, but I haven't been on in a while. Um, but uh, I missed it. Missed being on here with you guys. Uh, I do have to say, I think, you know, we've gotten a really warm response for the show, particularly as people have had a little bit more time to listen during the quarantine. And, uh, you know, someone wrote in and said, you know, I love starting uh, the day with the daily podcast um, that we've been doing. Another person wrote in and said, uh, I find Ryan and Mike objectionable in person but through the medium of radio, they're actually quite charming. I thought Wait, that was, was nice. that was that a note from you to you? <laughs> it might have been, it might have been me that, that put that in there. Uh, another person said, uh, "It's like the pastors and staff of New City are right there with me as I fall asleep in the dark of my room." It got pretty creepy after that, and so I stopped reading uh, at that point. But here we I, are. I mean, I do appreciate that our stuff makes them fall asleep. Yes, well, that's, that's right. our goal. Yeah, comforting voices in a time like these that's right comforting voices in it that could be the new marginalia tagline comforting voices in a time of crisis all right well let's talk quarantine i know you guys i listened to the um episode you guys did last week uh, and you talked a little bit about what you were reading and listening to and all those kind of things but i'm i'm curious about food what are you eating during this time and if it's takeout tell us where and if you're making things at home what what kinds of things are you doing well, we've taken out from Dewey's and from Asiana, both a couple places that we love. But other than that, we're, you know, eating stuff at home. We're pretty well stocked. Uh, we've had, you know, a lot of stuff out of the freezer. So a lot of frozen stuff that we're kind of pulling out. Today we got a pot roast going, which I'm excited about. I feel like what are we not eating right now? Because <laughs> I feel like one of our chief hobbies is eating because we're home all the time. Um yeah, so we've done takeout. We did Dewey's, Just Q-in. Um, What else did we do? Five Guys, this Soto for Mike's birthday. Food-wise, I have like a homemade Skyline recipe that I love. So I've been doing that a lot. Um, done that at Coney's. A lot of peanut butter and jellies. Fox mac and cheese. Um, yeah. We're eating well. I'm like really happy with the state of our stores right now. That's good. And, the state of our stomachs. 
That's great. Yeah, us too. We, uh, in fact, my wife has texted me just now uh, while we're recording this uh, for my Ichiban takeout order for tonight. And uh, we have some friends that are bringing us some Dewey's tomorrow that I'm very excited about. And uh, our neighbors a few doors down bought um, through some wholesaler bought like 40 pounds of chicken. And uh, they were surprised at how quickly it came. And so um, they divided up up with us and another. So we've got just tons of frozen chickens. We've been doing all kinds of grilling out uh, over the last few days. Any new hobbies? Any new things you're picking up or trying to pick up or old things you're trying to revisit? I wish. I mean, uh, napping. No, not napping. Just getting good night's sleeps, you know, not brushing up for get the kids to school in the morning. So is sleeping count as a new hobby? I think sleeping solid. I'm sleeping less right now. I'm not sure how that's happening. Um, for some reason, I'm thinking this time of pandemic will make me a gardener. So I have a lot of gardening supplies on hand that I plan to begin doing the work this weekend. We'll see how that goes. People can walk by my yard in two months and know whether or not I was successful. But yeah, gardening. I did borrow, I borrowed Daniel Kersey's longboard. So I've been doing that some. That's a good little break to get out and just go up and down the street a few times, do some skateboarding. I was talking to um, some guys last night on a Zoom call, and one of them was talking about all this like sort of DIY projects that he's doing around the house. And another guy is a surgeon on that thing. And he, uh, he's, he basically said, stop, stop right now. He's like, we've just been told we're not allowed to sew fingers back on during this time. It's a resource waste. So if you cut your finger off, it's done, you know, at this point. So good to I'm, know. Yeah, and very so good to know. Wood, and stop the woodworking. It, I'm totally out of any projects at home. I've told Paige, like my, my friend, Dr. <laughs> Dave said, if I chop anything off, it's not getting reattached. So will Dr. Dave do a home visit in the event, good. stitch it up at home? That's a good point. I don't know. That's a good question. Or digits. All the, I mean, think about how many fingers and digits will be lost during this time. That's a, one of those unintended consequences. All right. So something I've been doing uh, both at home and otherwise to start conversations, I've been using cards from this game. I haven't been actually playing the game by the rules, but there's a game called Loaded Questions and it just has lots of different questions. So I've just randomly selected a card. I'm going to ask you the very first question. Here it is. Oh dear. The first question is, how will the world end? If you can look at the top, can you see it? I'm not even making it up. Uh, um, I see it. It's a little ominous, isn't it? I like, this was a random uh, yeah. poll. Mm-hmm. Yes, first one. How I'm will the world end? suspicious of that. You saw it on there, though. I just showed it to you. I see the question, but I didn't see you pull it randomly from the stack. That's all I'm saying. All right. Oh, want me to ask another one from the same card? I don't know exactly how, but I imagine like a John Philip Sousa song. Fireworks. Oh, good. Thank you, Brian, for actually trying to answer the question. I'm like Abby, you know, just trying to deconstruct. I've watched too many cartoons because that's the very cartoony. This is two marginalia episodes in a row. You've brought up cartoons, Brian. So, Abby, I'm going to ask you another one. Same card. Okay. What is the best reason to never leave your house? You don't like other people. I thought you'd say global pandemic. 
Is that, oh, yeah. is that really on the same card or did you make that? Blue That's one. Un- Look unbelievable. At it. You see the blue one? Unbe- this, yep. this is the apocalypse card, apparently. All right. And this is the first card I pulled. I promise you that. Uh, third question, though. Uh, same card. What is the worst place to use the bathroom? I don't really even understand the question because the bathroom is the bathroom. I don't, I mean, in that case. Small town gas station where it's the only gas station off the like highway. Good call. Porta potties always kind of freak me out. I've heard those stories well, about people pushing them over. And when, with, you know, if you, if you get pushed over in it onto the door, then you're trapped and everything spills out on you. Sounds that's, a, that's a nightmare. It is I a had nightmare. a really hard time finding a bathroom in Gary, Indiana one time with my daughter who really had to go. That was a bad day. That sounds like a bad day. Yeah. For a while, we talked about like, you know, how there's food critic blogs and things like that. Uh, Lucy wanted to write a bathroom critic blog because every single place we ever went from about, say, age three to eight, she had to go to the restroom. And so we thought maybe we'd try to monetize this somehow, but we never got around to doing it. We'll say the the smallest bathroom in the world I've ever been to is this uh, at this place called Wilson's in Finley. It's a great little old timey burger joint, but the men's bathroom, you have to go outside and then go into the bathroom and it is the tiny, I mean, it's smaller than an airplane bathroom. Unbelievably small. It's uh, quite the experience. All right. We're going to take a a short break and uh, we'll come back in just about a minute or so. All right. Well, we need to uh, update folks on what's coming up here at New City over the next week or so. Brian, what are we what are we looking forward to? I think the the main theme is that we unfortunately still can't get together in large groups, uh, but Holy Week is coming up. This Sunday begins Palm Sunday. And so like usual, we'll have a chance to worship at home with a small group of folks. Uh, the liturgy will be available at our website, like usual. Palm Sunday, there's also uh, New City Kids are going to do a Passing the Peace, right, at noon. Yeah, well, it'll be a kid-themed virtual Passing of the Peace. We've been doing that Passing of the Peace each week on Sundays at noon and Wednesdays at noon. Just a chance to see some familiar faces on Zoom. So that will happen. It'll be kid-themed, so hopefully all the kids will tune in there on Sunday at noon. And then looking forward to Holy Week Thursday evening, Maundy Thursday the day uh, where we're gonna have like a, a Monday Thursday sing singing Monday Thursday songs seven o'clock uh, we'll have a live feed set up on YouTube and some of our church musicians our volunteer worship leaders and um, folks will be sharing a song that they've picked um, for this time so we'll kind of do um, worship leaders in the round so to say we'll take turns uh, pass it from one person to another that's Thursday night at 7 p.m. we'll have the live feed information about that. I'm doing a lot of learning on how to make all these things happen. And then Friday night at 6.30, we'll have a Good Friday worship gathering um, as well. So stay tuned for that. We'll do the same kind of thing, I think, live feed um, Friday evening. And then Easter Sunday, uh, it'll be a bummer to not be together, but we'll have our worship like usual Sunday morning um, liturgy up and available on the website. All right. Well, this past Sunday, we broke uh, from our signs series briefly to consider 1 Peter 
chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, where the Apostle Peter, writing to a collection of churches in Asia Minor, uh, starts out the passage by saying, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. And then Peter goes on to not so much sort out the cause of suffering or the trials or the difficulties in our life. He's not so much getting at the cause of these things as much as he's trying to prepare us uh, for what to do and how to live when those things inevitably come, which we think is quite pertinent to the time in which we find ourselves, a fiery trial of sorts. And, And so you guys, I just want to ask you the question to start. You know, the passage begins with the word, beloved or the greeting or the address beloved what does that do for you just hearing that being addressed that way from the apostle peter certainly but also we know that this is the way that god addresses his people quite often beloved i think for me it's a reminder that two things can be true at the same time that i'm deeply loved by god and that i can be going through hard things so me going through something hard and challenging is not indicative of the way God views me <laughs> as a punish. It's not a punishment. It's not, I should have done something differently. Um, he can, he deeply loves me and I'm going through something hard. Yeah, it's nice that it establishes the relationship, the status of who you are before you get into the other things. You know, this is the thing that doesn't change. This is the center of what we're about to talk about. Sort of a little spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Yeah, very good. So then he goes on to say, do not be surprised. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Now, I mean, I suppose, you know, in Peter's case, uh, he's talking to churches that are uh, experiencing uh, persecution um, for their faith in the middle of the Roman Empire. Um, But he just, he he tells them to uh, not be shocked when these kinds of things happen. How does that help inform our understanding, not only of this uh, kind of event that we're going through right now, which, you know, I mean, maybe you can say Bill Gates predicted it and uh, other healthcare professionals and things, but nobody sort of knew when, exactly how, um, what it would all entail, at least those of us in the non-professional in that regard. Um, but at the same time, there's a sense in which we we are not to be surprised. And then um, how does that translate also into other I don't want to call them little sufferings, but more individual experiences of suffering um, that we have in our life. What does, you know, what, what is, what do Peter's words mean for us in that regard? It is difficult um, because we tend to, you know, I think just broadly writing, writing with a really broad brush here, we tend to idolize our comfort and our ease. And so when anything threatens that comfort and that ease, um, we can tend to get a little feisty and a little resentful um, because maybe this isn't what we signed up for. This isn't what we wanted. Um, but I think in the midst of trouble, trouble, it's um, tells us, well, you shouldn't have been surprised. Um, you know, it just, I mean, I think you mentioned in your sermon too. I mean, Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. There is no getting around it. Um, the reality is we live in such a way and a, culture and a society where troubles are not as common, not as regular, um, at least maybe some of the struggles that uh, world history has always had, um, living on the edge of poverty or life or death. I mean, we just have so much ease, so much comfort that those are sort of bare minimum things that we expect. And when those things are taken away, um, we tend to get a little ornery about it. 
honestly, like this type of thing did surprise me. Um, I mean, we're in a wealthy country, we have modern medicine. And so I was surprised by the scope of this pandemic. And the past few weeks have been kind of wrapping my mind around that, that this is the way people have lived for centuries. <laughs> and so this is not something new. It shouldn't have surprised me. Um, but I can, I think our society in the, the spot I hold in our society of being, you know, middle-class wealthy or not wealthy, but you know, like upper middle-class woman can make me think that these types of things won't happen to me. Um, and anyway, it's just a reminder that these things do happen. I'm told they'll happen. And so my goal in life then isn't to prevent them from happening. My goal in life is to faithfully follow Jesus through them. And that shifts the focus quite a bit and helps me think differently than about how I live day to day, how I prepare for those things, et cetera. Yeah. It's interesting. You both mentioned that there's a sense in which though these things are unique experiences to us, um, you know, everybody's using the word unprecedented and it is unprecedented for us or us America yeah. in the last hundred years. Um, you know, although you go back 102 years and, you know, it's, you know, so we have short memories, but um, it is, it, 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 this is something that perhaps connects us to the church in the past and connects us to the church and other parts of the world, maybe in unique ways. I mean, I'm not uh, a masochist by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think we should be reveling in this experience, but if there's some kind of good to come out of it, I mean, I'm sure there will be lots of goods that come out of it, but um, one may very well be um, the church's ability to um, read the scriptures in a different light, read the Psalms in a different light about suffering, difficulty, hardship, um, but also the kind of solidarity um, with the church in say ISIS ravaged regions of the world, refugees, um, where life is upended, uh, jobs are lost, not by the tens and twenties, but by the millions, you know, um, tsunami inflicted parts of the world or, um, or places that have suffered diseases like this more, uh, regularly and don't have access to healthcare in the same ways we've come to expect. And, uh, I think probably that, uh, this may wake us up to uh, an opportunity to learn from the rest of the church in ways that we haven't availed ourselves of as much as we should have as the church in the West. Yeah, absolutely. This is not our area of expertise, right? We've got the, the wealth, the comfort, the ease, but certainly not um, experience in suffering and taking our lumps, uh, you know, like adults. And for me, thinking on a more micro scale, the experience I'm living now of being housebound, of not being able to go out in public, like that's the experience of like other brothers and sisters in our, you know, neighborhoods just because of illness or medically fragile children. (laughs) That's their day-to-day existence. So even just the opportunity to foster empathy and have new eyes to see needs very like locally is that something I hope to take into the next season when this era is over? Yeah, I don't want to be too morbid about this, but I, you know, I, I do read a good bit of history and um, I read a good bit of um, dead people, uh, for lack of a better word. And sometimes I tend to gloss over things that are so distinct from my experience. So you'll read something like, you know, John Owen writing about, I had 11 children, eight of whom died. And 
you know, I'd be like, oh man, the old days. And I, I hope we're not in for anything on that scale. Um, but then when he starts to write about joy in the Holy Spirit, uh, I'm like, well, I, I want to listen more because <laughs> uh, that's going to help prepare all of us for whatever kinds of suffering and difficulties that we we face. And um, so I think it makes those things all the more pertinent you know, to us. And of course, the pages of scripture, the same. All right. So Peter in this passage, uh, as I said before, he's talking about suffering primarily at the hands of persecution, right? There's all kinds of suffering that's described in the scriptures, but here Peter's talking about first Peter four, he's talking about suffering at the hands of persecution. And then he goes on to list in the middle of our passage, um, all these things you should not do. Um, He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a meddler, Um, which it says to me as I'm reading this, that there is a way in which when suffering comes into your life, um, it can make you great. Peter used the image of a, a refining process, a refiner's fire, but it also, it can make you sin. You know, suffering can lead you to, to all kinds of, of bad behavior, bad activities. So in other words, it's, I guess at the conclusion I'm drawing from that, it's not automatic that you're going to come out on the other side of this growing um, so my question for you is well, what, what do we do in the meantime, right? If we do have a moment to take our breath and try to consciously be intentional in the midst of a difficult period, a trial, a fiery trial, how do we, there's, I don't know if ensure is the right word. How do we put some things in place or how do we at least try to grow, uh, in the midst of a fiery trial rather than let us turn, let it turn us into, um, you know, some of those other things that Peter describes as temptations or possibilities. I think two things that come to mind for me is um, moving towards stories of pain and then staying engaged in community. Because this is, I mean, this is a hard season for me, but it's not exceptionally hard. It's, you know, I'm, we're, we still have our jobs right now. We're, we've not been ill. Um, our fa- no one in our family is ill. And so it's easy for me to become self-absorbed in the season thinking like, oh, the trials I know and I'm enduring and become selfish and just hunker down, put my you know nose to the ground, survive it. And instead having eyes um, to see the pain that is happening outside of my house. And then also just being in community. So reaching out to those who are kind of closer to this crisis and pandemic than I am and moving toward them and service both of those things are helping me um, be refined, I think, through this process versus just, you know, camping out in my little castle <laughs> until this is over. I think for me, having creating space to, um, to sit and be quiet, this obviously slowing things down, has slowed things down um, significantly, but to take a, just a few minutes to just sit and say, okay, how, how am I doing? What am I going? I talk about this in a little bit um, in one of the dailies readings podcasts, just letting the Psalms even guide and lead uh, in prayer to get a sense of, okay, what's really going on? What am I really feeling? What's, um, what do I need to, to pour out to God in prayer? Um, so creating some of that space um, to just intentionally think about what's really going on uh, in my heart, in my mind. Yeah, the, the Psalms have meant the most to me in, 
a couple seasons. One uh, appeared in depression that I uh, referenced some in, in the sermon on Sunday. Uh, the Psalms made more sense to me than they ever had before. Another was when our, our, our little boy was sick and in the hospital for, it seemed like forever, 135 days, you know, for a couple hospital trips. And um, those times, the cries of the Psalms made a lot of sense to me. And, and now, frankly, I mean, the, um, the sort of the wilderness kind of um, empty uh, period and the longing for things to be different, how long the Lord kind of calls uh, those are um, and the uncertainty, uncertainty about, about the future. Um, those I'm so thankful, you know, for the language um, that the Psalms gives us and the invitation to bring those things to the Lord rather than to hold them up or, um, try to process them all on our own. And I think, I guess in trying to answer my own question of uh, what's one of the things, it's not automatic that suffering is going to make us better or more godly. Um, one of the, the chief ways I think um, to, to try to utilize suffering as a mechanism of growth is to process everything in the presence of God. Uh, to be honest with our lament and our suffering, our difficulty, our anger, perhaps our confusion, our anxiety, but to do it with God rather than apart from God. And I find that that's incredibly stretching. It makes you rely on the Lord more. It also creates a good bit of gentleness and empathy for others who may be struggling in different ways and, um, and frankly makes you a better counselor for those who are having difficult times as well. Well, let's take a little break uh, and we'll come back and talk about one more thing before we wrap the show up today. This week, uh, Marginalia is brought to you by Zoom. Zoom is a revolutionizing uh, mechanism or means it's revolutionizing the way teams go. I messed that up. It is, they're not going to pay us for this. Zoom is revolutionizing the ways that teams collaborate whether you're connecting multiple conference rooms or adding remote attendees, meeting face-to-face -face is as simple as a single touch with the highest audio and video quality. Joining a conference digitally is as natural as being there. I'm not sure as natural if that's well. I, I've never heard of this Zoom. What, what is this? <laughs> I don't think it's going to catch on. Uh, nobody, <laughs> nobody has ever uh, heard of this thing. All right, here's the tagline. Zoom. The only meeting platform where pants are optional. You know what I'd as like long to as you're seated. As long as you're seated, that's true. We've we've, yeah. we've seen a few mistakes. Not not personally, we haven't seen those. But uh, yeah, don't don't try to lead your Zumba class on Zoom with without pants. And don't forget to stop the audio before you make a restroom break, as there's been a few videos circulating around on on. Uh, Twitter of people who've made that mistake. You know what I'd like to see though? Here's the thing. This is maybe, maybe Zoom will, will take this idea and run with it. I would like to see a 4D teleconference. Have you ever been to one of those 4D theaters where they, you know, you get, you splashed when there's, uh, you know, a, a, so, a so in this scene. scenario, somebody would be speaking really virulently and like spittle would come out yes. of the computer on you. Yes. Yes. Uh, occasionally you would get someone's coffee breath sort of wafting <laughs> to you. I think, you know, you know, you used to be able to do pokes on Facebook, like a finger just sort of jabs you when you, I think this is a great idea. I feel like though that's taking like the few benefits of Zoom is that you don't experience those things and then you want to throw them back in. I do. I want it to feel more real, more gritty, Abby. I mean, you can have your insular life. I want real 
gritty, you know, earthy life. Okay. Okay. Whatever. All right. Uh, best kind of meeting to do over a computer. Do you think what's the best kind? The short kind. Yeah. All right. Yeah. What's the worst kind of meeting to do over a computer? Any meeting that might involve singing or saying something at the same time. Speaking from yeah, experience was, in the past the five sing, days. The sing, the sing along is just brutal. Uh, I was thinking uh, bar mitzvah would be the worst kind of meeting to do via Zoom. I don't think the dancing would go very well. The gift giving, uh, I think perhaps the, the, the joy may not come, come through in the same ways that you would think. The 4D you, would definitely be necessary. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in so many people who go to bar mitzvahs are like grandparents and things like great aunts. They can't work it. They're, they're not going to be there. I think, yeah, bar mitzvahs are going to be tough. All right. Last segment today, just as we wrap things up for this episode, a uh, question that uh, I think is going around uh, more in, I've heard it uh, not so much from folks at our church, but just sort of making its way around the internet and um, that's out there though, is why is the church agreeing to comply um, with an our state governor DeWine's request uh, or a stay at home order, I guess. Why is the church um, willing to comply to not meet as a gathering during this time? And I think it is a good question. And I would give, um, you know, just four quick answers to that. Why is new city in particular uh, deciding to comply with this, the governor's orders in this regard? And uh, four answers, uh, two theological, one learning from others. And then uh, the, th- the fourth one is more observational, you might say. All right. The theological ones first. Um, number one, we want to love our neighbors well. We talk about that all the time. If you've been around New City at all, um, you've heard us talk about uh, our desire to serve our city and to love our neighbors. And um, in particular, one of the ways that we do that is uh, by obeying uh, the sixth commandment. You know, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And um, we're Presbyterian, so we have a, um, a, uh, some fam- foundational documents, theological documents, the constitutional documents, and uh, the larger, the Westminster uh, standards are those, the, the confession and then the larger and the shorter catechism. And the, the larger catechism um, has a whole series on the Ten Commandments sort of, ex- uh, sort of exegeting. What, what, are, what do they mean? Expositing, um, you know, what does it mean to obey these commandments? And when it's talking about the Sixth Commandment, thou shalt not kill, uh, question 135 for the larger catechism says this, the duties required in the sixth commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and listen to this, avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices which tend to the unjust in taking away of the life of any. And so we want to do what we can to preserve the life of others. A second argument also from the larger catechism has to do with um, submission to authority. Um, and this really revolves around what does it mean to obey the fifth commandment, which is honor your father and mother. And um, the larger catechism makes clear that the scope of the fifth commandment is not just about your natural parents, but also uh, about all kinds of relationships that exist in the church and in society more broadly, especially relationships that have to do with authority, submitting to authority. And uh, larger catechism question 127 says, what is the honor that inferiors owe their superiors? Now that's a distinctly non-American 
kind of question because we don't want to talk about inferior and superior, but the, the framers of the larger catechism are, are really talking about um, issues of authority, right? Who, who, who is um, a subordinate with regard to another position of authority. And this is what they say. The honor which inferiors owe their superiors is all due reverence and heart, word and behavior, prayer and thanksgiving for them, imitation of their virtues and graces, and then listen to this, willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels, due submission to their corrections. And so we want to honor that um, as best we can. Those would be my theological arguments. My um, argument based on um, sort of learning from the rest of the church it really has to do with learning from the church in other parts of the world, particularly the, the church in China. You know, the Chinese church uh, continued to meet when the government had tried to shut them down, right? They're famous for this, right? All these or- this elaborate organization of house churches, wonderful movements of when the Chinese church tried to, the government, Chinese government rather, tried to shut down and, and to stop the church from meeting. Um, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't comply. However, when there was a pandemic, um, they chose to continue to, to cease uh, from their regular meetings and to utilize things like what we're utilizing, uh, Zoom and other kinds of things, because they concluded one was an unlawful order. It was the government trying to stop people from worshiping the living God. The other, they thought, was a lawful order, a desire to protect human life. And so, in other words, there's a learning from the church in China. There's a time for civil disobedience. You just need to choose that time really wisely when it comes and make sure that you have the right ends in mind. And then the fourth argument about why we ought to comply um, with what the governor is asking us to do now is, uh, you know, I asked the question, you know, what is the, what is the God of secular America? Um, maybe you'd say sex, but also things like sports and money, right? Those are the gods of secular America. And here's the reason that I know the request for churches not to be gathering at this time is not some government conspiracy to undermine the faith of Christians because they've shut down sports and money. Everyone's losing a ton of money in the economy. Now, if the economy sort of ramps back up, if sports resume, stadiums fill, and they continue to try to keep churches from meeting, well, at that point, I think that is probably a totally different story and a time to consider civil disobedience and not complying. But until then, this seems to be like a good faith order to try to protect life in the best way possible. And uh, we're trying to do our part in that. So friends, wash your hands, Zoom your friends, Marco Polo, you guys, it was great talking to you today. Abby, Brian, we'll see you next week, I guess, huh? Yeah, sounds like a plan. Yeah, whatever. Yep. And make sure and tune in, everybody, to the daily podcast for devotionals based on our readings and prayers. And uh, we'll... See you or hear you next time. Bye, all. Very good. Cheers.